Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. Source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our guest segment. I've got to set this up for you tonight. The name of the book is Slaying the Sky Dragon. And a lot of you know that I myself am a regular guest on Coast to Coast AM. George Norrie is a friend. I just did a live event with him down in South Florida. And sometimes I steal their best guests. (laughs) And I heard a guy on with George Norrie a few weeks ago talking about bottom line is this whole idea of man-made global warming, global warming is just, it's just a scam. It, it, It is not true. And there is really no science to back it up. And there's a great book out. If you want to read the book, it's called Slaying the Sky Dragon, Death of the Greenhouse Gas Theory. And joining us tonight is Joseph Olson. A little bit of a background here. He's a retired Texan engineer and science writer. Uh, he has uh, written more than 100 major climate change articles and he really knows his stuff and explains this in a way that even people like me can understand it and uh joseph olson thank you so much sir for joining us on jim paris live oh james i'm delighted to talk with you and your audience uh that was actually my third presentation with uh coast to coast i did an interview with dennis miller back in march of uh 2015, and I was contacted the next day by uh, George Norrie's producer, could I be on on March 18th, which happened to be my birthday, so I was like, yes, and then uh, I was contacted again in June of 2017. They said, we don't have a guest for tomorrow night's program. We need somebody that's already signed off a release. Will you be on our program? I said, yes, and then lo and behold, they they put um, several of uh, two of my segments have, are, are on YouTube, so you can listen to those programs free the first hour um, just by going to my name and Coast to Coast um, YouTube channel. And he's a great guest. I mean, a great host. I, I've yeah, never yeah. Met your interview, got- your interview with him was really fascinating. And uh, I had so so many of my own questions, though, and I wanted to to start out with, um, for me, this is where I get super skeptical about all of this. You know, just take for right. example this this Hurricane Dorian. Okay, they started out by saying this really wasn't going to be much, maybe a one. And then by the end of the, you know, every day they kept changing and changing. By the end of it, it was like a five and it was really not going to hit Florida. And then it got really close to, to flow. I mean, it was like 50 miles or 75 miles any closer and it would have wiped out a lot of our homes here in Florida. And I just think to myself, if they can't 
really predict the weather a week out or a hurricane a week out. How do they get off trying to convince us that they can tell us like in 20 years what the climate is going to be and and that sort of thing? It just seems to have no credibility with me. Well, let's let's start with what this actually is. This is a multi-pronged attack on energy use because energy is a force multiplier. If you have to go out and mow your grass with a pair of scissors, you're not going to be in there online researching, finding out how the government lies to you and picks your pocket constantly. So what they want to do is they want to restrict energy use. So one thing they they claim is that carbon dioxide is changing uh planet's climate, which it absolutely is incapable of doing. The next thing they claim is that you can come up with sustainable energies that don't affect the environment. Yeah, like really. I've written an article called uh, Green Prints of Darkness on photocells. It would take 100 photocells to manufacture one photocell. So you're not going to save the planet by making all of us convert to uh, six hours a day of 1.5 watts per square foot and 1.5 volts DC current. It absolutely cannot possibly happen. And the third lie is fossil fuel, which is a lie they came up with uh, shortly after the first oil well was discovered in 1859 and monopolized by Rockefeller. So Rockefeller came in, monopolized the oil and said, you know, I don't want anybody else drilling for oil. I want to be able to charge as much as I can. He's replacing whale oil as a lighting source, which is a good thing with kerosene, but he doesn't want anybody else to find kerosene until he can go out and claim every oil uh, producing spot on the planet, which he does. And so he creates the myth that it's a fossil fuel and don't count on it and it's going to run out really soon. And we've heard these predictions since the, the what, 1950s when they actually came up with the uh, Hubert Peak oil hypothesis, which is an absolute joke. But they yeah, according to peak oil, we would and, already we would already be dry. I mean, like as of what, 15 years oh, ago? Oh, yeah, we were, to, we were supposed yeah. to run out by before 2000. And now we got more proven surf. And the reason why is because the planet produces hydrocarbons. The universe produces hydrocarbons. I had a great article at Canada Free Press called Fossil Fuel is Nuclear Waste. It was published in September of 2010, and in less than 24 hours, it had 11,000 crosslinks. Going to the Google page and looking at it, it was 10 listings per page. I copied down every foreign language that I was written in. I went through the first 100 pages listing the different languages. I was in 25 foreign languages at 11,000 crosslinks worldwide in 24 hours. So that's what the power of truth is. It's self-resonating. You put out truth, and we're going to do some of that this hour, uh, it will self-resonate. But the problem is th- this is so complicated. I've researched it for my whole entire lifetime. I was in engineering school in the early, uh, late 60s, early 70s. Uh, so I've researched history and science with a Ph.D.-level understanding for over 40 years. And I've sailed the Nile. I've been to Europe eight times. I've been all over the United States, uh, all over Mexico, been to Canada twice. So I got a kind of an idea of what's actually going on with reality. And I never accepted the narratives that they forced on us. 
And so I've independently researched and verified everything. I've read uh, thousands of history books, tens of thousands of research papers. And I've got 60 articles in archive at Canada Free Press. So if you Google my name, you can go read those articles. There's a lot more material and you'll be able to digest. Joseph, let me ask you, though, it it seems like the media is they're 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 literally outraged their jaw hits the floor if anybody questions this narrative and then they trot out this guy with the bow tie on bill nye the science guy who's like had like a little kids program about like you know you make a little volcano that explodes in your on your kitchen table this little kid like the mr rogers of science they bring this guy in and then it's like all the scientists in the world all agree on this, and this is what's going to happen. And anybody that even asks questions about it is not even that that they don't agree, but they're considering you as dangerous, like you're a dangerous person. Uh, you need to have your Facebook page shut off, and you need to be tarred and feathered. It is uh, There is no room for disagreeing with that narrative, is there? No, there really isn't. They, they've projected this uh, chicken little science and Jack and the Beanstalk solutions, and unfortunately, they've dumbed enough people down on the planet that it's easier to go along than it is to stand up and say, wait a minute, this uh, uh, violates the basic laws of science. It, the laws of thermodynamics have been in place since 1870 and never been violated. And here we've got something that actually violates the laws of thermodynamics. I had sent you three graphics, and I don't know if we have a way of putting those up on your radio website. I have the we have the graphics, but what we thought would be better to get more traction for you is to give your website out and let people find it with you on your social media or your website. Do do you have those okay. available on your site? Uh, they are, but they're sort of scattered. Uh, yeah, you know, they're in different articles. I don't have I don't have all three of them in in the order that we would like to talk to them, talk about. But right, that's right, okay. fair enough. My well, well, we could do it. Yeah, go ahead. Give your website out. Faux Science Slayer, and here's a real cute trick about that. You put in the first word, which is the French word for false: faux diamond, faux fur, faux paw. F-A-U-X, then you put a space, and then you put the letter S as in Sam, the letter C as in Charlie. The first drop-down menu will be Faux Science. You click on Faux Science, and the first listing will be Wikipedia because Wikipedia is owned by Google. The second will be me. And I've I've got screen saves showing out of 190 million searches. Typically, it varies uh, around 100 million searches within, you know, a tenth of a second. And so bottom line is I'm one guy with that did most of my research with a dial-up computer that took an hour to download a meg, a meg file of information. I would go to a website, start downloading at midnight, hope there wasn't a power interruption, and come in the next morning and find my seven-meg document that I needed to review uh, downloaded. That's how bad it was. But I was able to get that much traction with my website just because truth is self-resonating. You can only be lied to by somebody you trust. When you quit trusting the government and the and the um, agencies that they sponsor to be their uh, handmaidens, then you don't have a problem because every epiphany is permanent. You go, I ain't believing you anymore, and then I'm going to go out and find some other truth. 
And so by the way, I just I just posted that to all of our social media uh, sites, and I put a headline in there: "Why Global Warming Is a Hoax." and uh, put a link there and anybody listening can get there now or if you're listening on the replay you can check any of our Facebook pages or our Twitter to be able to get there and the book is also available on Amazon what, Do you are you of the camp here's my view uh, I grew up in Chicago and I remember incredible snowstorms like snowstorms that actually were named like they weren't named like Dorian the hurricane but it was like the, the you know the, the blizzard of 1969 I mean it was like a thing like an event I remember many of those that that were like just significant storms I remember several times neighbors uh, taking canoes down the street of my of that I grew up on they were going in boats because it, it was flooded and it was like the flood of 71 these big and people today for some reason think that this is the first we're seeing extreme weather like oh this is the first time we had so much snow or this is the first time we had you know this these types of hurricanes or or tornadoes and is any of that true i mean are we seeing for some reason more severe weather and if we are is there any way to connect that to anything man is doing to cause it uh, absolutely not. We're within a normal uh, cyclic weather event, and you lived right there on Lake Michigan. Uh, they've got photographic aerial photos of the ice pack on Lake Michigan going back to the mid-30s, and then we've got satellite, very accurate satellite data going back 30 years, and you can see a cycle of the amount of ice that, that uh, covers Lake Michigan on one year and then the next couple of years it's half that amount of ice so what are we dealing with here are we dealing with the freezing point of water oscillating back and forth and you've got a constant temperature are we dealing with something that has a cyclic variation and almost everything in the universe is cyclic uh one of the graphics that i sent you uh has it's by climatologist cliff harris and meteorologist Randy Mann, it has a cyclic temperature from 2500 B.C. to today. And during that cycles, we had the Myoan warming period, we had the Roman warming period, and we had the medieval warming period. In between those, we had the Grecian cooling period, the Dark Ages cooling period, and the Little Ice Age um, cooling period. During the warming periods, Vikings occupied Greenland, built stone dairy barns capable of holding 50 cows, and lived there continuously for hundred, hundreds of years, and then suddenly didn't live there for hundreds of years. And over the hundred years that they weren't there, a couple of hundred years that they weren't there, uh, archaeology shows that you have changes. You have changes in your uh metallurgy, your weapons, your uh, jewelry, your pottery, uh, your written language changes. And so we're able to prove that Vikings occupied Greenland, left Greenland, occupied, left, occupied, left. During the Little Ice Age, during the Little still, Ice Age. Oh, there we go. I, we lost yes, you for yes, just I'm a gonna, second. I should have blocked my incoming calls. That's okay. No it'll, worries. It'll no worries. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. During the Little Ice Ages, they had ice festivals on the Thames River in London where elephants actually walked across the river. And the Thames doesn't freeze now. It didn't freeze when the Romans were there. 
So bottom line is uh, we have a cyclic weather condition, and we have very limited amount of data. Other than the satellite data, we have Fahrenheit didn't invent the thermometer until 1661. And then they weren't in widespread use until the uh, middle of the 19th century, and they were poorly calibrated. And the records so we don't were even have like we don't even have a off. base. We don't even have a baseline because we haven't even been around long enough with the technology to even measure temperature to even be uh, two dots on this graph to even connect two dots to even have any idea. The, the other thing too, uh, Joseph, that it always. Uh, struck me not only as hypocritical, but maybe really uh, a true insight into the hearts of these folks that are pushing all of this uh, global warming agenda is you see these conferences they have. And then I love the fact that somebody always tracks how many private planes are going to these conferences. And all of these guys, <laughs> they, they show up on these private planes. And then when you look at how they themselves live, they're living in these, I believe Al Gore has one house, one of his houses in Tennessee has like 40 rooms or something. It's just like, it's, it's not like a house. It's like, you know, a hotel that he had built that he lives in. They don't believe this themselves because if they, if they really believed it themselves, they would be doing other things with their own living uh, choices, you know, their own lifestyle choices. Well, these are the self-chosen leaders of the plutocracy. And so they're, you know, all animals are equal, but they're way more equal than you and me. <laughs> so getting back to the to the actual energy transfer, Earth has two energy inputs. One is the sun, which is, you know, 95, 98 percent of the available energy input. And the other is which is also variable. And we'll get to that in just a second. And the other is variable volcanism. Uh, we have planet Earth is 259 billion cubic miles with about three parts per million of uranium, which gives you 800,000 cubic miles of uranium underneath our feet. And we've got 1.2 million cubic miles of thorium. Those are subject to decay, but that decay rate is variable based on gamma particles. And Earth has a magnetosphere that protects us from a large portion of the gamma rays that we get from the sun and from the rest of the solar system, but that is variable. So we have a planet that's circling a full spectrum electromagnetic radiation and gamma ray source called the sun at variable distances, which is an ecliptical distance of between 91 and 93 million cubic miles. I mean, 93 million miles. So we're circulating and getting closer by 3%. And that 3% is a function of the square of the distance. So you square three, that's nine. So just on our basic annual rotation around the sun, we're getting a 10% variable uh, input from the sun just based on astronomy. And then the sun itself varies about 1%. But that's just in the electromagnetic spectrum. They don't tell us what it's varying in the gamma, which is causing a change in the uh, fission underneath our feet. So we've got this furnace underneath our feet. Sometimes it gets a little bit hot. Sometimes it gets a little cool. I uh, attended the Heartland uh, ICC-9 conference in July of 2014 in Las Vegas in a room of 600 claimed skeptics 
which I labeled the lukewarmest, and I was the first to do that. Um, and there was only 20 people in that room that had ever taken a thermodynamics course. And when you start explaining thermodynamics to them, it's like, well, that's not what we learned. And it's like, well, you didn't bother to learn enough of the right things. One of the guys I met there was a uh, geography professor from University of Maryland who had the thought that maybe volcanism, variable volcanism, was causing Earth's climate change. And so he did an Excel spreadsheet on 30 years of USGS seismic variations and 30 years of NOAA satellite weather data on the Pacific Decadal Oscillation, which is the changing temperature in the Pacific, which pretty much sets the uh, global patterns for the whole planet. And in his uh, Excel spreadsheet analysis, he found out that a year and a half after you have earthquake spikes, the ocean gets warmer. So it takes a year and a half for the change that that first manifests as a vibration in the surface of the rock, then manifests as a heat rising coming up through that rock, and then up through the two miles of water column where your uh, vent lines are before it's finally expressed at the surface as being a hotter than normal surface condition, and that causes increased cloud cover and increased rainfall, increased heat. So bottom line, you have variations in the cycle that are caused by volcanism, which also nobody at the Heartland event would embrace because it was like, well, no, we, we've already figured out how much volcanism is, and it's a, a very minor amount, and it's constant. Well, first of all, it's not minor, and second of all, it's not constant. And we'll get Joseph, to if I could jump in and, and, and maybe uh, ask yes. you if this analogy is is correct. So, I believe in intelligent design. I believe that this was all created by oh, God. Man. I don't know. Yeah, I, I said I didn't know what your uh, views are uh, on religion or Christianity, but that, that's my view. And and here's how I kind of look at it. I'm sitting in my office right now, which is uh, a broadcast studio. When I have all the lights on and all my computers on, it gets a little bit warm in here. But, you know, a couple of rooms away is where my thermostat is, and I have that thermostat set right now at 76 degrees. Now, it might get up to maybe 78 or 79 in my broadcast studio before that thing a couple of rooms away kicks on and brings the temperature back down to 76 sometimes it'll actually bring it down in this room to like 75 or 74 but there's this like range that i can pretty much count on from my thermostat that i'm going to be within like maybe four degrees of where i set that thermostat and it's going to kick on and kick off and so forth so within our this this world we're living in there are all these different factors that there's a variation in that, just like there is no exact temperature that I can keep in my broadcast studio. It's always going to be plus or minus like four degrees. And that's sort of what happens with the earth. And if I, you know, if I panicked when it got up to like 78 in my studio and thought my house was on fire <laughs> and started, you know, you know, jumping out the window, getting a fire extinguisher, that's what pe that's what they're doing. They're taking these higher points and they're uh, dr dramatizing this into something that it's not. Oh, it, it's just created hysteria. Okay, we've got two variable energy sources. Everything else in the whole system is a buffering system. So anything with the temperature emits uh, electromagnetic radiation. 
So you as a human being at 98.6, you emit in the 10 micron ranges while you're visible with an infrared camera. But you cannot take a mirror and reflect your 98.6 back on your body and raise your body temperature. You can't surround yourself with a dozen mirrors because energy transfer is a vector, always going from a higher to a lower. So anything that happens in the atmosphere because the atmosphere is lower than the temperature of the surface of the Earth is going to be emitting a cooler uh, photon, and that photon cannot raise the temperature of the surface of the Earth. So the Earth gets heat all day long from the sun. It reaches a gradual peak temperature, usually uh, an hour or two after noon, and then it starts gradually reducing temperature, and the atmosphere reduces the temperature loss by night, but by day, the atmosphere absorbs 30% of the incoming light, which prevents the Earth from getting as hot as the moon does. So the moon, during the daytime, gets 260 degrees Fahrenheit. The moon, during the night, gets minus 280 degrees Fahrenheit. The coldest it's ever been on Earth is a minus 129 degrees Fahrenheit. The hottest it's ever been on Earth is 136. So we're 151 degrees warmer than the coldest spot in the moon, and we're 124 degrees cooler than we would be uh, if we didn't have oceans and atmosphere. And so bottom line, the moon is exactly the same distance from the sun. Even though it rotates the earth, it's half the time it's further, half the time it's closer, half the time it's the exact same. So it gets the same amount of solar radiation. Here's the moon, which is unbearably hot and unbearably cold, and right next to it is this beautiful planet. And you mentioned something about creative design. You, you dig out the uh, periodic table. You look at 106 elements that are incredibly complex and incredibly well organized and you say to yourself well every bit of this microscopic reality uh is just random probability and then you look out <laughs> at the universe and you see this right. universe that uh, currently they're claimed is uh 13.6 billion light years across which coincidentally we're in the middle of, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, and you look at this enormous amount of order. We can, we can sit there and tell you what the elements are on distant stars and distant galaxies. And surprise, one of those uh, elements and molecules that we find out there is carbon is absolutely everywhere and hydrocarbons are absolutely everywhere. The moon Titan that circles Saturn has liquid methane oceans, methane clouds, and frozen methane ice caps, and it never gets above 100 degrees below Fahrenheit, and they never had a fern, never had a dinosaur. So stop with the um, and fossil speaking, fuel yeah, Speaking line. of the moon, it, isn't it also true that other planets in our galaxy have these variations as well on temperature, and there are no cars or coal factories on any of those planets? Yes, they have cyclic temperature records going back on Mars uh, 50, 100 years. It's absolutely absurd. 
And I'm glad we got into this subject because Big Bang is another thing that's absolutely absurd. And that's the 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 next nexus for destroying religion is to say that, well, it all just happened because at one time the, the universe was incredibly dense. And then just for no apparent reason, it just exploded into this gigantic galaxy. And 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 that's why we got the Big Bang. And so that's part of dismissing any kind of a creation myth, the absolute order of universe from microscopic to galactic is another means of dis discounting it. And then to claim that man is, is such an evil force on this planet and that we're intentionally soiling our own nest is another one to not allow us to work together to create the Eden on Earth that we would have if we recognize that hydrocarbons have been bubbling out of the planet for a billion years, they're going to continue for another billion years. We've got a, a, a energy budget that we could very comfortably live with with the six million people that are on the planet. And if we were able to equitably um, divide resources and focus our energy on doing something creative and, and positive for reality, then we would solve all of humans' problems. We've squandered over $100 billion on this ignorant global warming hysteria. And that began with Big Bush being elected in uh, 1988. At that point, we had $20 million a year in funding that went to climate uh, research. He ramped it up by, the, by 1992 to a billion year, dollars a year. Bill Clinton ramped it up to $2 billion a year. So we've squandered $100 billion, enough to give fresh water to every human on the planet. And every bit of that excess funding was to fund carbon endangerment findings. And I'm sorry, if all you fund is findings for danger, danger is all you're going to find. And that's why we've got these ignorant um, things like polar bears and, you know, spread of uh, diseases. And this is one of my favorites, um, ocean acidification. Yeah, I researched that. Uh, unraveling the mysteries of carbonic acid uh, in Science Daily. Uh, carbonic acid, first of all, is really weak. Second of all, it's really hard to keep uh, available in a laboratory test tube. It has a half-life of 26 milliseconds. So you're not gonna you're not gonna acidify an ocean that has a pH where where 7.0 is neutral, has a pH that ranges from 7.8 to 8.4, and is lined with balsamic uh, uh, balsamic uh, rock, which is a carbon source, which it would um, would uh, automatically be an alkaline and and dissolve any acid that uh, did accumulate in the ocean. So that's completely absurd. Now, the next thing is when sunlight hits an atmosphere molecule that absorbs, and they only absorb in certain little narrow bands, uh, it absorbs the Ozone absorbs ultraviolet light. Oxygen absorbs in a couple of bands. Water vapor absorbs in 37,000 spectral bands. Carbon dioxide absorbs in three spectral bands. And the three spectral bands that carbon dioxide absorbs in, and this is back to that 98.6 temperature being um, 10 microns, CO2 absorbs at 2.7 microns, which is 800 degrees centigrade, 4.3 microns, which is 400 degrees centigrade, and 14.7 microns, which is minus 80 degrees centigrade. So it absorbs in three incoming bands, which cools the Earth, and it absorbs in one outgoing band, which cannot possibly take 
heat from the earth and absorb it at minus 80 and back it, bounce it back at the earth and warm the earth. In addition, the other methane gas that they're, they've got their knickers in a twist over is methane, which is 1.7 parts per million. It absorbs in the 3.3 micron, which is 600 degrees centigrade, the 7.7 micron, which is 104 degrees centigrade. So methane doesn't absorb in any of the outgoing radiation that the Earth um, emits. Now, any emission is, um, I mean, excuse me, any absorption is immediately followed by an emission. And you can go to Wiki Water Spectrum, and you can see the way a water molecule absorbs, and it vibrates, and that vibration lasts on, on a water molecule between one and four billionths of a second, at which point it transfers that kinetic energy to the adjoining gas molecules, which at that point are non-absorbing, particularly nitrogen is not absorbing. Oxygen would not be absorbing in the same bands that water vapor or carbon dioxide would be absorbing in. But that kinetic energy means that the photon, after it hits the absorbing molecule, has a longer wavelength and a lower energy. And that's how the atmosphere filters energy out. It's nothing to do with its capturing, storing, redirecting, or amplifying uh, energy from the sun because it can't do any of those things. And so they lie about the basic molecular level reaction of energy and matter because none of the climatologists have to take thermodynamics and none of the audiences they're talking to are taking thermodynamics and none of them will bother to debate somebody that knows thermodynamics because we'd all get a lot smarter. So two last questions for you, Joseph, that you're fascinating. I could have yep. you on for hours. Two last questions. One is, yes. do you have and is there any alternative energy um, option that looks promising? For example, will there be a time in, in my lifetime? I'm 54 years old. I'm going to be 55 in January. Will I see a realistic like car that's run by electricity that goes long distances or will my, my house be totally run by solar or any of these technologies close to being realistic and within a, a you know reasonable price range uh the only one that's really viable uh other than hydrocarbon use is fusion and fusion releases an enormous amount of energy and most likely had we devoted the energy uh of the resources to uh fusion energy that we've de devoted to carbon dioxide demonization we might actually have the breakthroughs necessary to make that happen and from what i've read about it all of the uh energy use of the world for a hundred years could be done with an inch of water off of uh san francisco bay and so we've got 310 million cubic miles of ocean. And when we convert uh, hydrogen to helium by, by uh, fusion, you end up with uh, helium, which we can find plenty of good uses for helium. You know, we can use it for heliarc aluminum welding. And we can, if we're nothing else, we can just make us all have toy balloons that we can float around. But, <laughs> but, but and uh, last line, question, helium, last question, go ahead. Yes. And then we'll finish it up yes. with, with our last question. Okay. You'll go ahead on helium and then I'll, we'll, we'll hit you with the last question here. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, helium's a wonderful little atom. Uh, you turn it loose and it, it's got a specific gravity of 0 0.16. It leaves the planet. So it goes out and joins the great universe. So, and it's, uh, an inert gas. So it's completely harmless. Um, it has lots of good industrial uses. So if we manufactured a lot of helium as a byproduct, that would be the cleanest thing that we could possibly do. But biofuels, uh, ethanol takes 100,000 BTUs to create an 80,000 BTU fuel. Biodiesel is about a 50% net energy loser. It takes twice as much uh, diesel to create biodiesel. Um, photocells, like I said, probably never manufacture a hundredth of the amount of energy it takes to manufacture them. Windmills are another uh, enormous energy loser when you figure out the total uh, life cycle cost for the rare element magnets that they have in the fiberglass and the steel and the concrete and the fact that they cannot produce anything but direct current because they don't operate at a constant RPM and alternating current is what the world runs on. So I discuss all of this stuff in my articles. And interesting, the last thing you mentioned before you um, brought me on was that there was lines of people sleeping <laughs> waiting for the MAGA conference. Yeah. I went to the the MAGA event in Houston, and I got there at 10 o'clock in the morning. They already had 2,500 people in line, and I got to talk to some of the most interesting, happy, uh, joyous people. There was uh, hundreds. I, I thought the estimate I heard was like 800 law enforcement officers there from every branch of service, you know, sheriff and, the, and uh, local municipals and the state police and, you know, um, uh, Secret Service, and everybody was going up to him and, and just smiling. And these guys like to be stoic and just kind of pretend like nothing affects them. But when we came out of that uh, uh, conference with the president, there was 800 of the happiest law enforcement officers you have ever seen in your life. They could not. Yeah, they, they love the guy. Joy. You know, he does get a little bit oh. crazy on Twitter and this and that, but they, they, they love the guy. I mean, he's just, he, he, he says what he's oh. going to do and, and he speaks his mind. Last question. With yeah. all of this great science that you have your brain wrapped around, which you, you make more sense to me than any of these other folks. Is there any way that you uh, with your feelings about all this, your your views on all this, do you have any predictions about the future? Like, is is it possible to know like where we're going to be in twenty years with the oceans? Are the oceans going to rise and Florida is going to be you know uh, under the sea with Atlantis? I mean, can we make any predictions, or is this just random? Is this just like look, the Earth is going to do what it's going to do, plus or minus X, and that's it? And there there's no way we're going to know where we're going to be in twenty or fifty or hundred years. Well, another uh, great scientist was Milinkovic, who did the uh, Milinkovic cycles in 1914. You can look those up on Wikipedia, which shows the 100,000-year-long ice ages and the 10,000-long uh, interglacials. And we're at about 12,000 on our interglacials, so we're overdue for an ice age. We, I would be shocked if we don't enter a, a major ice age within the next 50 years and possibly sooner. And if nothing else, at least we'll enter one of those uh, little minor events like we had with the younger Dreyfus, with the little ice ages, with the um, 
Grecian cooling period and with the Dark Ages cooling period. And so we have no control over that. It's absolutely not controlled by human-produced carbon dioxide. What we do have control over is our, our own situational awareness. And we have the potential to create an Eden on Earth and do it overnight. It's just a matter of you can only be lied to by people you trust. And when you quit trusting the government and the people that they tell you to trust and you quit trusting the news media, then you can have an epiphany about truth. And that epiphany will be self-resonating. And I see us, you know, joining as a family of humans worldwide and solving all of our problems in a very short period of time. And I see us having a thousand years of light. And I'm sure that's the message that that you would like to share with your audience. And, and certainly I do. Because I'm yeah, very great, optimistic a, about that. A great way to end it. And the book is called Slaying the Sky Dragon, Death of the Greenhouse Gas Theory. You can get the book uh, at Amazon. You also can go directly to the website, which, again, he, I Googled it myself. Go to Google, type in F-A-U-X, then space, the word science, Faux Science. His site comes up as the second site, and there's a lot more information there. Uh, Joseph Olson, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you'll come back again, sir. Oh, I'll never tell you no, James. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless. Great information. Wow, wasn't that fascinating? I have to admit, I'll be honest, he lost me on a little bit of that, okay? But the general thought that we just... We don't we don't know what's going to I mean, we we are not number one. We're not doing this as mankind. We're not heating the earth up. We can't do that. Uh, number one. Uh, number two, we don't even have statistics long enough. As he said, we, we didn't even have an ability to accurately measure temperature until like the 1950s. So we don't even have a baseline or long enough curve to even measure any of this uh, to, to make any projections or any trends. Um, and man, it, it sure seems like there's a political agenda here and there's a lot of money involved in all this, these carbon credit schemes and everything else. So, uh, what a great interview. Glad we touched on this subject. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. And remember if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris live. We'll talk to you next time.